0: I think Romans chapter 3 especially addresses something that I believe has been uh, so toxic uh, in our relationships today, whether it's your relationship with a spouse, with a family member, with a friend, uh, even with your children, Uh, and it's this toxicity that has been conditioned within us by our society for a number of years, for a long time, most of us, uh, all of our lives. And I love how Romans chapter 3 addresses it because, as a matter of fact, when I was studying and when I was preparing this sermon for Romans chapter 3, I thought to myself, this is going to be a very difficult sermon. Because, A, the message of Romans chapter 3, if you've been around the church, is pretty familiar. Uh, We've all experienced this message. It's a simple message of God loves you no matter what. That's essentially, if I had to pare down, Romans chapter 3, it it would be in a simple sentence saying that God loves you no matter what. And and you can imagine as as I'm preparing this sermon how how difficult that would be to make it engaging and to to prepare you to to listen to this. But for some of us this morning, I, I really believe that we need to hear the message, the simple message of Jesus saying, I love you. I love you. And in chapter 3 specifically, it addresses something that I believe is so common for us today, and it's this. Women's retreat, you should go. But also, if you're a woman, you should go. But also this, God calls us uh, to love. It's, It's this idea of love. God calls us to love unconditionally, all throughout the scriptures, God calls us to love unconditionally just the way that God has loved us, without conditions. Yet, instead of loving others without condition, we love transactionally. God calls us to love unconditionally, yet we love oftentimes transactionally. And let me give you a few examples of what this might look like. Let's say you are moving. Moving from one house to another. Uh, And obviously, we all need help when we move. And so who are the people that we call to help move? Yes, of course, uh, our friends. But more specific to than just our friends, we call the people that we have probably helped move in the past, right? And so we have this idea that since I have helped you move, Now it's your turn to help me move. That's viewing a relationship very transactionally. Or or when I pay for a meal, let's say I go out with a buddy and and I pay for their coffee and their meal. Uh, Perhaps the next time we go out to eat or for coffee, oftentimes my expectation is, okay, okay. Well, I treated you last time, and so now it's your turn to pay for the meal. Or, or what about a compliment? Sometimes we give compliments with a little, if we're being honest, with a little bit of an agenda, right? Like, oh wow, you look very nice today. Uh, And the expectation is, well, hopefully that person will compliment us back. And and even when you think about the words, I love you, when you say to a friend or a spouse or to a family member or to children, perhaps you say, I love you. And the expectation in that transaction is that because I have said, I love you, uh, the appropriate thing for you to do is say, I love you too, right? Could, could you imagine, and maybe this has actually happened, uh, when someone said, or when you say to somebody, I love you, and, and can you imagine the response of the other person saying, okay, thanks, I mean, how awkward is that? And the reason why it's awkward is, yes, you may mean the words, I love you, but it's awkward because we live in this society where our relationships are not just unconditional because the reality is God calls us to say, I love you no matter what. I love you even if you hurt my feelings. I love you even if you don't love me back. I love you even if you don't forgive me. I love you unconditionally, yet we have been conditioned To say, I love you, or to give, or to love, or to extend transactionally, I love you. Now, I expect this person to say, I love you back. Or even when you get into an argument with a friend, you say, I'm sorry. And, And you say, I'm sorry, and I'll be very honest with you, I've done this before. I say that I'm sorry, expecting this transaction of, I say, I'm sorry. Therefore, now you say you're sorry, and then there's reconciliation because that transaction is complete. And and perhaps we all mean it when we say I'm sorry, but sometimes it'd be awkward to say I'm sorry. and, and, And if it's really your fault, yes, it would be appropriate to say, Well, I forgive you. But oftentimes we say, I'm sorry because you want to hear that back. And now there's that transition, that transaction that has happened that brings two people together. It's not this unconditional love. It's not this unconditional forgiveness or, or apology or, or brokenness. It's this idea of transaction. And, and the scary part of this transactional relationship is not only do we benefit from that when there's good, right? Like if I do good, then you do good to me back, But the opposite is also true, and this is what I think is most toxic. If they don't do anything for you, the transaction isn't complete, so therefore you don't do anything in return. If somebody doesn't love you or say that I love you or say that I'm sorry, then you're not going to be the first one. And I know I'm guilty of this because... That transaction hasn't happened, and that person hasn't offered it to us. And sometimes we even uh, uh, not do something in order to spite the person because we live in a very transactional society. And, And the problem with this is that it seeps into our understanding of God. All throughout centuries, this attitude of transactional relationship has seeped into our relationship with God. And again, I don't want to go through the history, uh, the, the context of Romans, the book of Romans, uh, but the Romans chapter 3 especially is what, the, what Paul addresses, it is that oftentimes when we view God, and it, we view God through this transactional lens, just like we view our own relationships throughout. And so it's like this when I do all the right things for God, when I pray, when I go to church, uh, when I do nice things with people, when I have my what we would many of us would deem as our devotionals or our quiet time, then God will bless me. Then God will love me. If I go out and tell people, shout at the top of my lungs that Jesus is real and Jesus is alive, and we. evangelize or, or we tell people about Jesus, then we say, okay, now I'm in right standing with God, and God's not only going to love me, but God is going to answer my prayers. God is going to give me the things that I asked for. God is going to repair the relationships of my life. And, and then again, the opposite is also true. I say, oh man, you know, the reason why this didn't happen is because I didn't pray enough. Uh, I didn't go to church enough that month, and so therefore God is punishing me. Uh, not, so this obviously isn't you guys. You guys are good, okay? So don't, don't you worry. And, and so it's this transitional or transactional lens that we view. God is saying, if I do all the right things, then God will love me and bless me. The opposite is, if I don't do those things, then God won't love me. Then God won't come through with me. Then God won't. Uh, answer my prayers. And and what Paul is addressing in Romans, we have to understand that uh, in Rome, the the Jewish Christians were were kicked out. They were expelled by the Emperor Claudius right around uh, 40s AD. Uh, And and they were kicked out because they kept on talking about Jesus. Now, 10 to 12 years later, uh, the, the Jewish Christians were able to come back to Rome. Now, when they came back to Rome, they were faced with a little bit of hostility with the Gentile Christians. Now, keep in mind, these are both Christian groups that had major hostility uh, towards one another. But for a decade or so, they lived apart with different different traditions, different cultures. And finally, when the Jewish Christians came back, the Gentile Christians were like, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Why are you worshiping God like that? And and then on the other side, the Jewish Christians are like, hey, Gentile Christians, you're doing it all wrong. Uh, I know that you didn't grow up with the Torah. I know you didn't grow up with rabbis and and the synagogues and these teachings and these laws. But uh, unless you do these things that are written in the law, then you are not right with God. And the Gentile Christians, what are you talking? You have no idea what you're talking about. And and there's this hostility of two cultures essentially clashing. You you can imagine the hostility that might be after uh, a decade, over a decade of uh, of being out, uh, of being a part of a different world and different land and different worldview, coming back and colliding with the Gentile Christians that were currently there. I mean, I remember when I first uh, went off to college many moons ago. Uh, although I graduated from Seattle Pacific University, go Falcons! Yes, here's, a, here's an awesome one. Here's a, now here's one. But I started off at WSU, go Cougs! Yes, okay. So obviously, if you if you know where WSU is, it's in Pullman. So when I immediately after graduating high school, I left uh, for uh, WSU. And, and when I left, and I don't know if you have younger siblings, but My younger sister just completely took over my room. Like my room was no longer my room. Even though my parents kept it there, uh, you know, they they kept my furniture, my bedding and all that. Even though I moved, my sister completely took over my room. My closet, uh, even my bed, even, you know, the desk and and all those things. So essentially, my sister had two rooms uh, when I left. And, And the funny part is, when I came back, like whether it's for holidays or Christmas vacation, I would essentially take my room back, and it was like, I don't know if you're around high school students at all, but oftentimes high school students can be uh, pretty dramatic, okay, uh, very, very dramatic. And so when I would come home from, for vacation, she would claim that I was ruining her life, that I just ruined everything all the time because I came back on a vit- for like a holiday vacation and took my room back. And, and we'd always argue about like why she moved my furniture, that this was still my room. And she was saying, No, you're gone, you're in college, this is my room, and, and you know, I'm gonna use it the way I want. And, and I look at that, I, I, when I was reading this, I, I look back at that experience because. There was that little bit of hostility when I would come back and say, this is my room. No, this is my room. You're gone. You've left. Life has moved on without you. And, and we look at this story, and, and the Jewish Christians are like, what do you, What do you got? What, Gentile Christians, what are you doing? We're gone for 10 years, and you've made a mess of yourself. Now, let me teach you what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus and, and to be strong and faithful christians or believers of the way is what they called it during that time and the gentile christians were speaking and saying you know what it it doesn't have to be this way it doesn't have to be this way And, and so quickly paul says this and this is kind of a verse that has been around the church for a long time paul says since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god He comes up and he's kind of a mediator and he says, hey, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, you guys have all sinned. You guys have all missed the mark. You guys aren't better than one another. And that's a message that uh, I focused on last week. Uh, But I look at this verse and I say, man, for centuries, Christians and pastors and missionaries they read this verse and they always stop right here. This is like the coined verse that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, what oftentimes is proclaimed in this single verse is that, hey, you didn't quite make it. It's a bit out of context when we look at that. Way. We extrapolate. we take this verse alone and we say, "Look, people, you need Jesus, which is." I believe it's also true, but we use this a little bit manipulatively, abusively, and we say, look, you have fallen short of the glory of God. Ultimately, you have not quite made it. You didn't do all the right things. You weren't good enough to receive God's glory, God's love, God's acceptance. You didn't say the right things. You didn't do the right things. You didn't read the right things. And essentially, what this does is it perpetuates Our transactional relationships not only with others, but our transactional relationship with God. Essentially, what this verse is saying is what will what we've pulled out and what we've said is you haven't done enough to complete this transaction of God's love. You've fallen short, you didn't do it, and it's dangerous. When it seeps into our understanding of a transactional God. It seeps into our transactional relationships and our understanding seeps into our relationship with God and we view God as merely transactional. Again, meaning if I do all the right things and say all the right things, go to church an X amount of times, then God will complete the transaction and love me back. And this was the message that was being uh, proclaimed that the, Jew- that the Gentile Christians actually got right when they told the Jewish Christians that they got it wrong. Because the Jewish Christians would come along and say, here's what you have to do. You have to read the Torah. You have to memorize this. You have to obey the commandments. Uh, you have to go to church. You have to do sacrifices. You have to do rituals. Otherwise, you will have missed the mark. Otherwise, you will not be blessed. Otherwise, God will not be faithful to you. And we, in along our transactional culture, and society, because that's the way we view others, we do nice things for them in order for them to do nice things for us, and if they don't do nice things for us, then we don't do nice things for them, that attitude and mentality seeps into our relationship with God, and our unconditional God switches to be a transactional God, and we perpetuate this. We grow this ourselves, uh, this false understanding of who God is because of our experiences with others that informs us. I mean, even today, we see even religious leaders say that every time there's a tragedy of some sort or a natural disaster, that there's some uh, people, religious people, that, that would claim that that's punishment, uh, for whatever their wicked ways were, and and you know, what? I don't understand the, the complexities and all of why things happen, especially natural disasters and and illnesses. And I, I don't pretend to know, but what I do know that is that God is not vindictive. God is not the same transactional deity that we are, that we may view God in that way, but God doesn't view us that way. And so I would say to these religious people that you've got it wrong, yet you have missed a point of who and how God loves God's own people. But see, because we're so seeped into this transactional mentality, we view God in that same way. Man, because The people over here, you know, committed these atrocious sins, and and they've got it wrong. That is why there was an earthquake or a typhoon or a hurricane or whatever it is. That is why. I can't tell you, I can't emphasize to you enough how far away that is in representing God's love for us. Because instead of reading uh, Romans just in that singular verse, we have to read the whole thing. We have to read the whole thing and it says this, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed. It's been known. Righteousness of God has been known to everybody. Sinners, uh, less sinners, more sinners, Gentiles, Jews, Greeks. The righteousness of God has been revealed and is attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for all who believe. This was a very radical statement. If you believe in the work, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you have involved yourself and committed your life to a love that is absolutely unconditional, that God will love you no matter what. And, God, and Paul is saying, believe that. It's been revealed to you. And he says this, for there is no distinction, no distinction since, and then here's the verse uh, that we all know, since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they are now justified. Those that have sinned, that have fallen short, are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a gift And one thing about a gift is that a gift can never come with contingencies, right? If you you give a gift with contingencies, that's not really a gift at all. In fact, that's more of a transaction. But here in verse 24, it says that through the grace of God, through through the work and the life and the death of Jesus, what he did on the cross, that was powerful and strong enough to cover everybody. And, and I would go as far as like, even if you don't know Jesus, even if you have doubts or you're skeptical, you know what? That's okay. I'm glad you're here. And let me just tell you, you are deeply and profoundly loved by Christ. And that cross is evidence of that. Evidence of that. And that's the gift that, we, that is offered. That is offered to all of us. And the sad reality is that some of us, we sit here and we've been told, we've been convinced that we're not loved by God, that we're not good enough. Some of us have been told this message by our own loved ones, some of us have have been told this message by even ourselves in our self-hatred. We say, God doesn't love me. There's no way God can love me. Some of us have experienced this message, this lie from the church, from other Christians. And if that's you, we as the church, the capital C, the big church, we owe you the most sincerest and deepest apology. And for some of us, Really, all of us, no matter where you are, no matter where I am in our journey, we just need to be reminded that God loves us, period. And again, as I was preparing for this message, I was saying, man, that is the crux of the message. It's so simple. How do I engage people with this? But my hope is that you sitting right there, me standing right here, we all need to be reminded, just simply reminded, that God loves you, period. In your depression and anxiety, know that you are loved. In your addictions, in your unhealthy, self-destructive habits, know that God loves you. In your loneliness, know that God loves you. In your stress, take a deep breath and know that God loves you. In your mistakes, and not saying that God condones and wants you to live this life of self-destruction. But even in the midst of that, God loves you. God loves you. And the most dangerous part of this transactional God is that it leads us to a transactional future. And here's what I mean by that. What we believe is that when we view God as a transactional God, then there comes a transactional future, meaning uh, in our life, our life. It becomes a huge math equation, So maybe for those of you that think think linearly, you're like me, and this is the way we view our life. As long as I do X, then Y will happen. As long as I do Y, then Z will happen. In other words, if I get good grades and I get to a good college, and if I get to a good college, I get to a good job, then I am wealthy and I live happily ever after. Even in our relationship with God, as long as I love God, go to church, then all I will ever do is experience joy and happiness. If I get into a relationship, a marriage, a friendship, whatever it is, and I say all the right things and do all the right things, then it will thrive. As long as I do that X, then Y will happen. As long as I raise my children in such a manner, then Y will happen. I mean, you name it, you fill in the blank. We all have our X's and Y's. As long as we do X, then this future will happen. Because our life, our relationship with God, and our life with our relationship with others and ourselves uh, becomes this transactional future. As long as I do X, then Y will happen. And the problem is that many of us, we've learned this the hard way, that this isn't, this isn't true. We've all experienced that this is merely, merely wishful thinking. And oftentimes, and maybe you guys are all with me here, life can end up something like this. We've all experienced failures. We've all done the right things and yet we've all experienced failures. We've all loved so passionately, and we've loved and we've given ourselves so much, and we've been so sacrificial, yet we've all experienced heartache. We've all worked really hard in whatever it is to accomplish something, but yet we've all experienced missed opportunities. We've all experienced closeness with people, uh, yet we've all experienced loss at the same time. And even death. I and mean, the reality is, this is actually a better representation of our life than this graph right here. Because so sadly, what we often do is we take in a transactional God, saying, okay, God, as long as I love you, you will love me back. As long as you love me back, I'm going to do X, then Y will happen. This is the blessing. This is the prayers that you have responded to. And yet, we're stuck in this collision of, okay, I did all the right things. I love God the right way. Uh, I, I prayed all the right things. And yet, still, my life looks like this. Because at the end of the day, a transactional God lead to a transactional future, which ultimately leads to a false sense of control. As if we can make God love us more by doing something, by saying something. As if we can make God love us less by doing something or saying something. The reality is God loves you This is simple, and yet I hope that this is believable and profound and life-changing. And it's as if we can determine our own future by doing or saying the right things, as if we can mess up our own future. And maybe sometimes our our decisions have consequences. Yes, I'm not saying that they don't. But what I am saying is that Oftentimes, when we have this transactional relationship with God that seeps into our future and that gives us a false sense of control, all this this transaction, what it does is it boils down to uh, our obsession, our Western American obsession over control. I want to control what my future holds. I want to control what my future looks like. I want to control my relationship with God. I want to control the blessings and the way that my relationship with God manifests. I want to control that, so therefore I'm going to do X, Y, and Z so this happens. And unfortunately, the only person that has full control, full control is God. And, and, and the message this morning is not only God loves you, but what if the message this morning is that God loves you and me so much that it compels us to just let go? And, and he even, even hearing the words let go. Even envisioning our, our hands being so tightly clenched, even this vision of us just letting go is so relieving for a lot of us. Because many of us live this life that is so tightly clenched uh, that is in demand for so much control. And the lack, lack of control is just downright scary. And what God is saying this morning, will you let go? Because the reality is, life isn't X equals Y and Y equals Z. Life isn't like that. But even in the midst of that, God is saying, I love you. I'll love you through the trials. I'll love you through the heartaches. I'll love you through the loss. I'll love you even through your mistakes. Yes, I want there to be a course correction. Yes, I want you to be convicted, uh, and I want you to be compelled to live a more beautiful and, and, and thriving and joyful life. Yes, I want that for you. Yet, in the midst of you trying to figure out your mess, God is saying, I will still love you, and I will walk with you. Will you trust me? And will you believe that I will hold your hand and, and walk alongside you faithfully as I've done in the past for generations and generations? As the people wandered through uh, the desert, the Israelites in the Old Testament, they just wanted control. They wanted control, they wanted to know exactly how things were going to play out. They wanted to, to know how they were going to eat, not just that day, but the following days after. They wanted to know when they were gonna to arrive to this this promised land that God has promised them. This land filled with milk and honey. And the only thing that God promises all throughout, it says, do not be afraid. He says to Joshua, he says, as you lead your people, as as they transition leadership from Moses to Joshua, going into uh, a crossing over into the promised land, the land of unknown, a land filled with even enemies, God brings them in. The only promise that God makes is, hey, tell your people, do not be afraid, for I will go with them. I will never leave you nor nor abandon you. Go, do not be afraid. I won't leave you and I won't abandon you. That is what God says. And I love in Romans uh, chapter three, a few verses down, it says, so that way, Understanding that we've been justified, not by the laws, not by these transactions. God loves you. So then what? Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Like, have we done anything? Is there anything for us to boast about? It's this idea of control, and this idea of control equals pride, saying, you know what? I've done it. I've made this transaction. I've done all the right things. I've said all the right things. Therefore, God loves me. That's what the Jewish Christians were saying. And, and, and Paul's rebuking them and says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? The, the rhetorical, that's a rhetorical question because the answer is no. Because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through the faith, not only... Uh, Right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Faith is what sets us free. Faith is what allows us to let go of that control so that we no longer view relationships with other and the relationship with God something that we need to control, something that is transactional. And I really believe, I really believe this, that changing this mindset will change not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with others. What if we were just to love unconditionally the way that God has loved us? That is the message of the cross. Jesus died for us to have relationship with him. And all throughout the scriptures, don't get it wrong, the first person to live by faith it wasn't people. It was Jesus. It was because of the faith of Christ that we have been justified, not necessarily our faith in Christ alone. Okay, this is a big a big theological debate that's been happening for centuries, uh, even, you know, when Martin Luther, during the Reformation, it's in Romans and even in Ephesians, the simple verse. How do you translate the faithfulness of Christ versus the faithfulness in Christ? In Christ, I know that we're getting real nerdy here, but that's been a huge debate. And, and I would argue, along with many other theologians, that it is the faithfulness of Christ that has made us justified. Because Christ was obedient, in Philippians chapter two, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Because Christ has loved you unconditionally. When Jesus died on the cross, He didn't say, "Well, uh, let's see what you did first." Well, okay, well, maybe maybe I'll die for you. No, he didn't have a checklist before he went to the cross. He said, You know what? I love all of you, the whole world. John 3 16, for God so loved the world. And again, even John 3.16, we see it in football games, we see it in you know sports events. But this was a very, very radical statement that no matter what, God loved you. With no With no prerequisites. And what if we love the people around us in that way? What if we said, I love you, without needing to hear I love you back? What if we said, I'm sorry, without hearing I'm sorry in return? What if we gave generously without expecting anything in return? That would change our lives, our relationships, our commitments so, so dramatically. And the demonstration of that is with the work of Jesus on that cross. I want to close by inviting the worship team back up. And I just want to ask you, do you, do you live in relationships that is viewed so transactionally that it actually seeps into our relationship with God? And this isn't a narcissistic thing to say, but perhaps in our time of prayer, even throughout the week, we have to even say to ourselves, God loves me. In the Psalms it says, you are wonderfully and fearfully made. Each and every one of us are created in the image of God, and therefore God loves you. You, no matter what, where you come from, no matter what you've done, you bear the image of God. And you are precious to God. So simple. Yet will you believe that this week? And that because you know that we are so unconditionally loved by God, that that would compel us to just let go and let God be God in our lives, in our relationships. And my hope is that it will take so much stress and so much weight off your back to try to control and do everything so so Y happens, so Z happens. Sometimes life doesn't work like that. May we be a people of trust and surrender and know that that changes our lives and our relationships. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have loved us absolutely unconditionally and may we see that as a model to love others. Though that you call us to to repent and to transform uh, closer and closer to your image, uh, as we even figure what that means and what that looks like, God, you love us throughout the entire process and may we extend that love to others because we know through letting go and through loving the way you have loved us, that rids us of the stress of just having to be in complete control. We thank you for that, and we sing to you, we worship you, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue in song.